We're going to have our scripture reading. We'll pray and dismiss our children. Book of Jude. So for the next two weeks, I'm going to be covering one verse. One of the things about preaching through books of the Bible, sometimes you cover a big section of scripture. Other times you just feel like the Holy Spirit says, land and linger. Land here and linger here. We're going to spend two weeks on the love of God. We could spend a eternity on the love of God. But this is one of those, even as I was preparing today, I originally only planning to do one message on this, and it was like, mm-mm, mm-mm. This needs two, because you're going to hear things today that you're going to want to meditate on and, and kind of wrestle with, and then next week we'll just build on it. Um, so let's stand together in honor of God's Word. Jude, verse 21. I'm reading out of the ESV. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Let me read that again. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Folks, that is good news. Lord, would you just anoint your word now? Let me be a spokesman for you that not only my words, but how I speak would uh, honor you and correctly represent your great love. God, I ask you with all my heart that you would give a revelation this week and next of your great love. We cannot comprehend it with just our human mind. We need your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, settle, reveal, illuminate, move, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, children, that wish to go to Children's Church. You're dismissed out that exit. What do you do when uh, people present ideas, philosophies, doctrines, and even morals that go against God's Word? Today, beloved, in our country and in the world, we are seeing at an unprecedented level Christians even deviating from the Word of God, accepting things doctrinally and morally that for 2,000 years have never been accepted. Been really in the book of Timothy lately, and I'm amazed at how many times Paul tells Timothy to beware of false teachings, false doctrines. People will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires to hear what their itching ears want to hear. Boy, are we seeing that today. Now Jude is addressing false teachers who are coming not only with false doctrines, but false morals, using the grace of God, for example, as license to sin. And so in the last three weeks, we've been focusing on the fact that one of the ways that Jude admonishes people to respond to false teachings is to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. In other words, the best defense is a good offense. The best way for your body to be able to overcome germs and diseases is to be healthy. The healthier your physical body, the more you can fight off germs and diseases and things that try to come against you. It's no different spiritually. That the best way to be able to discern false teachings, not be misled by this trend toward immorality, etc., is to be strong in the Lord. And so we spent two weeks ago about what does it mean to build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Then on the tail end of that, he said, pray in the Holy Spirit. We talked about what it means to pray in the Holy Spirit last week. 
We even talked about tongues, so if you missed that, go back and listen to it. And today, another way to build yourselves up, to grow, to be strong, is keep yourselves in the love of God. What an amazing phrase. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How appropriate we land on this passage the Sunday before Valentine's Day when so many celebrate love. And today we will look at the best love of ever. The best love ever, and that's God's love. I had a counselor friend tell me once that he said, David, I spend 95% of my counseling time trying to convince people that God loves them. Because he said, I found that if they really understand the love of God, so much takes care of itself. You know, the love of God is a theme you see throughout the Bible. It is the theme of the Bible. In Genesis, soon as Adam and Eve sinned, God, out of love, chases after them. Throughout the journey of the Israelites, all their ups and downs and failures, he pursues them, he's patient with them, he works with them, he leads them, he guides them, he heals them. How crazy that God would have a prophet, Hosea, marry a prostitute and tell him, she won't even be faithful to you, but you're to be faithful to her to demonstrate my great love for my people who commit spiritual adultery on a regular basis, but I continually love them. You come to the Gospels and Jesus modeled this over and over in the way he treated people, the way he showed individual care, the way he healed the brokenhearted, and ultimately went to the cross as the greatest demonstration of the love of God. The rest of the New Testament, love of God, love of God, love of God. You go all the way to the book of Revelation and God creates this place called heaven because he loves his people so much. He wants a place where we would live with him forever. Oh, the great love of God. How rich and pure. The many hymns that have been written about His love, the songs that we've sung today and we will around communion about His great love. So this phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. Now, the word keep in the Greek is tereo, and it means basically to guard or protect that which you have. It doesn't mean work hard to keep God loving you. Oh, come on. It does not mean work hard to keep God loving you. And it's, it, it, instead, it means keep yourselves in the love that you already have. Keep yourselves experiencing His love. Keep yourselves understanding His love. Renew with your mind His love so you don't squirm out of it. About a month ago, I was with my daughter who just gave birth to her third child, our fourth grandchild, and... As we were there, our, her oldest is Carter. And I love holding Carter and snuggling with Carter. And, and as we went to see the newborn, I, I grabbed Carter and I just held him. And I said, Carter, I love you so much. You're my bud, man. You are my bud, Carter. I'm holding him. Well, what did he do? He squirms away. Like a lot of five-year-olds, he, he squirms out of my arms. And I'll come grab him again and hold him, but he squirms out. See, he was not keeping himself in my love. It didn't change my love that he did that. didn't change my love one inch or one iota. But he wasn't keeping himself experiencing my love. And that's what Jude is saying here. So don't mistake this phrase. Don't think of it as, 
I've got to perform and achieve and work hard and then God will love me. And if I disobey and if I sin, He quits loving me. No, 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 no. He says His love is stable, it's secure, it's solid, it's unchanging. Keep yourselves experiencing that. That's what He's saying. So, I want to be as practical and as thoroughly biblical as possible in these two weeks. And so the first point is this. How do you do that? First, you've got to know it. Know the truth of God's love. So follow along in your notes on the red flyer. It's on the back. A lot of fill-in-the-blanks today. Know His love. In other words, it does begin here. Just like salvation. You can't receive Christ as Lord and Savior if you don't first know that you are a sinner. You don't know that your sin separates you from God. You need to know that Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty. You need to know that you're not justified by works, but by faith in Christ. Then you can bring it from the head to the heart, you see? But it starts here. You've got to know the truth. We are transformed by the renewing of our mind. The truth will set you free. So we need to know His love. As we go through these ten things about God's love, beloved, know that there is no infinite list. There's no exhaustive list. I mean, there is an infinite list. We don't know it, though. There's no exhaustive... I mean, I, I've said this many times. It'll take all of eternity to grasp the nature of God. You'll never fully... We will never fully experience His nature because it's infinite. It's indescribable. It is exhaustible, inexhaustible. But these are ten things that I think help us understand. Number one, His love is existential. The word existential means to relate to existence. So his love is existential because God is love. 1 John 4, God is love. Love defines God. God defines love. God, there'd be no love without God. We have no Valentine's Day this week without God. So you want to give some of your college students, you want to give proof to the existence of God to some of your skeptics? Just tell them this week is proof of the existence of God. We would not be celebrating Valentine's Day because we would not even know what love is if it were not for God because God is love. Love is so essential and so central to the nature of God. Listen, He cannot not love. He cannot not be holy. He cannot not be sovereign. He cannot not be faithful. God is love. And everything He does, listen, is an expression of His love including His judgment. Because judgment is due to man's rebellion, man's rebellion is due to man having free will. Free will is given out of the love of God. If God were not loving, He would not give us free will. If you, if you required people to do what you say, if you, were, if you made everybody a puppet, that's called abuse. God is not an abusive God. He's a loving God that's giving us the free will to either obey Him, follow Him, or not. When we don't, there are consequences because He's also holy. That's why understanding all of His attributes are so important. Number two, His love is personal. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. He not only loves the world, He loves you as an individual. He knows your name. He knows your likes and dislikes. He knows how many hair on your head. He knows when you rise and when you sit down. He, his thoughts for you are more abundant than the sands of the sea. That's what the Word of God says. He thinks about you more than the number of sands on the ocean. Zephaniah 3 says that, that, that He rejoices over you with singing. 
His love is personal. He knows every pain, every hurt, every sin, every struggle that you and I go through, and He still loves you. Now listen, it's the accuser of the brethren that wants to lie to you, keep you from experiencing His love. It's Satan who condemns. It's Satan who will try to say, look, that happened to you in your past. That shows God didn't love you. One of the biggest barriers to people experiencing God's love is things in their past that Satan uses to try to convince them this happened because God doesn't love you. Last night, my wife and I went to an event here in town that was, that was a fundraiser for this group ESP, Extra Special People, and it's people that have severe disabilities. And one of the stories, and it's not a Christian event at all, but they do a great work, and and one of the stories is this woman that, that said that when her child was born with a severe disability and they didn't know it was coming, how she felt like God had abandoned her. And she actually said, how could God do this to me and still love me? But by the end of her story, she testified how because of this special needs child, she had come to understand love at a deeper level this child had brought such joy in their life. And so the very thing that at first caused her to question God's love became the very thing that helped show her God's love. Folks, that's Genesis 50-20. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. That's one of those mysteries that we can't fully understand, but I'm telling you, all of us will have things happen in our lives that Satan will want to use to try to convince you that he doesn't love you. Abuse is probably one of the biggest. When a person has experienced abuse, especially in their early childhood years, how many times I've heard people say, that made me question God. That made me question his love. But his love for you is personal. That's what the Word of God teaches. Jesus demonstrated this over and over. The woman at the well. The woman caught in adultery. Zacchaeus. His 12 disciples, including Judas, whom he washed his feet even before he betrayed him. The blind, the lame, the leper that couldn't be touched. Jesus loved to break cultural barriers. He touched him. He showed individual care because he loves you personally. He's intimately acquainted with all of your ways. Number three, it's unconditional. The Greek word here in Jude 21 is agape. It, it's the highest, deepest, most complete and unconditional love that there is. It's not dependent on your performance. It's not an I love you if you do this. It's not an I love you because you read your Bible perfect this week. It's an I love you because I love you because I love you, period. <laughs> it's not dependent on the one being loved. It's totally based on the one doing the love. Did you hear that? Unconditional love is based totally on the one doing the loving, and that's God. Now, we have a choice whether we experience it, receive it, stay in it, don't squirm away, but it doesn't change His love. Now listen, another point of clarification. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional being pleased with our behavior. This doesn't mean that anything goes. It doesn't mean that sin doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that God is not grieved when we sin and rebel. Every parent in the room knows what this is like. When your 
children disobey, when your children go wayward, when your children don't abide by what you desire that you have for their good, if they rebel and sin, your heart is grieved, you're not pleased with their behavior, but it doesn't change your love. You still love them. And you want your love to draw them back into relationship. Number four, it's sacrificial. The greatest demonstration of the love of God is the blood shed by Jesus at the cross. In Romans 5 it said God demonstrates His own love. He sent His one and only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here, beloved, is the apex of God's love. While we were sinners, gave His life, shed His blood, went to the cross. When you and I need reminding that God loves us, look at the outstretched arms of Jesus. God sealed His love for you by the blood of Jesus. Nothing demonstrates God's love more than the sacrificial death of Christ. John 15, 13, greater love hath no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Did you hear that? For his friends. He calls you his friend. You're not a slave of God in some way like there's this master that beats you into submission. You're a friend of God. When you get saved through Jesus, you become a friend of God. And that's what he wants you to experience. It's love that builds and, and motivates friendship. And it's His love for us that motivates us to love Him back. Fifth, it's multidirectional. When Paul prays his great prayer in Ephesians 3, and by the way, we may just tear that prayer apart next week, but you're going to hear me refer to it quite a few times in the rest of this message, and I encourage you this week strongly. Take that prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 20. Write it out. Put it on a card. Put your name in it. But one of the aspects of that great prayer is he prays that they will grasp, comprehend the width and length and height and depth. It goes in every direction. <laughs> I mean, I love these verses. Man could not make up verses like this. To me, verses like this just prove this is the Word of God because it's so deep. The Word is so deep and rich. His, his love is so long it goes throughout your journey in life. It's high enough to reach heaven. It's deep enough to go to the very depths of your pain and sin and struggle. And it's as wide as the outstretched arms of Jesus. Praise God, it's multidirectional. It'll, it'll go wherever you go. It'll find you out. Hallelujah. Next, it's inseparable. The Bible says in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from His love. And it's interesting, if you study those words in, in Romans 8, most of them are negatives. Peril, sword, persecution, famine, nakedness. Why would he mention so many negatives in, 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 a, in, a, in a verse about his love being inseparable? Because it's those very things that when they happen cause us to question God's love. It's the very things that he lists that when they happen, and he says they will, he doesn't always protect us from suffering and hardship. But it's in those very things that will cause us in our flesh to question His love. So He reassures us in those times. Listen, listen. Some of you, this is for you today. You have had negative, unpleasant, difficult experiences. You have sinned or you've been sinned against. And that whole equation, that whole mess has caused you to question the love of God. And so you need to go back to what the Word says. Nothing 
can separate you from my great love. And I have found that it's in those very difficulties, and we'll talk about this more later, but it's in those very difficulties if we allow God into the pain, that's when you can experience God at a level you never would have otherwise. Leads right to the next point. It's experiential. So in this prayer in Ephesians 3, <laughs> I love this phrase. He says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Okay, now look at this phrase. To know the love of Christ, that surpasses knowledge. <laughs> it's a, it, look, it sounds like a contradiction. Wait, if it surpasses knowledge, then how can I know it? So he's saying, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. In other words, you know it beyond just your head. I call it the spiritual percolation principle. It begins in your head. That's putting the, the coffee in the filter. <laughs> and then you get the water going over the coffee, and it percolates down, right, to make that wonderful coffee that you're going to drink. And in the same way, experiencing God's love begins here with truth, with knowledge, but it surpasses knowledge. It's got to percolate from the head to the heart. Drip down, drip down, drip down. That occurs by meditation. It occurs by prayer. It occurs by worship. It occurs by other stuff we're going to talk about in the next two weeks. But he wants you, listen, he wants you to experience his love. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now when you experience His love, it leads to the eighth point. It's transformational. It is meant to transform you. In other words, it brings about a change in your life. It affects your heart, your mind, your emotions, your attitude, your ability to, to get up when you fall down. It affects your relationships. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've counseled couples in marriage or in pre-marriage and they have a difficulty loving each other because they don't know the love of God. They've got issues in their life. They've got pain in their life. They've got trauma through this, that, or the other. And if it's not healed, it blocks their ability to love even their spouse. But when you allow God to break through and bring healing, it sets you free, listen, to get out of yourself and to love that person. The reason we have trouble loving others is because we're so stuck on ourselves. We're all about ourselves. We're focusing on our needs and our wants and our this and how they don't meet my needs. But when you get connected with God, you know His love for you. It sets you free. It breaks you out of that stuff that's messed you for years. Then you are free to love others. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. This is why the two greatest commandments come in the order they do. Love God. Then love your neighbor as you properly love yourself. It's not a selfish love, but it's a proper ability to see yourself through the eyes of God. You get an accurate biblical self-image, and that allows you to love others. Eighth, transformational. Nine, it's motivational. It motivates you to love God and others. I love the story of C.T. Studd, the famous missionary. He was seen by a neighbor up at 4.30 in the morning with the light on. And they asked him, what are you doing up at 4.30 in the morning? He said, I'm searching the scriptures for commands that I can obey to show Jesus how much I love him. See, he wasn't looking for commands to obey to try to earn God's love. He was looking for commands to obey to show Jesus how much he loved him. 
And then finally, it's eternal. Jeremiah 31.3, he, he has loved us with an everlasting love. The love of God is eternal because God is eternal and God is love. And, it's, and, and therefore, if God is eternal, then his love never ends because he is love and his love is, and is, is essential to who he is. So we come full circle. All right, so it starts, number one, with knowing his love. Number two today, and again, I want to be as practical as possible, pray for a revelation of his love. Again, take that prayer in Ephesians 3 this week. Put it on a card. It's one of the reasons we're spending two weeks on this. Because I want this to, to kind of get in your spiritual system, so to speak, and, and let it just ruminate on it and percolate it. And, and, but, but one of the best ways you could apply this message today, and those watching online, is take the prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 to 20, and, and put your personal name in it Pray it for yourself. Pray it for this church. Pray it for others you know who are struggling. Now, let's see who's sharp biblically today. A little trivia question. This is audience participation. Paul is praying this in Ephesians for the church at Ephesus. What do we know about the church at Ephesus from the book of Revelation? I think I heard it. I'm sorry? He said that. What else did he say? They've left their... Who said that? They've left their first love. Ah. So the very church that in Revelation gets rebuked because they had left their first love, he's praying for them to grasp his love. Maybe because at this point he had already seen this happening. Probably did. He was seeing the church at Ephesus struggling, leaving their first love. And so he starts to pray that that will get rekindled. Number three, accept by faith what God says. Colossians 2 says, As you have received Christ, so walk in Him. How did we receive Him? By faith. By faith. So the same way that you were justified, saved, by faith in Christ, you took God at His word, you didn't maybe feel anything. When I got saved, I didn't have an emotional experience. But I knew from God's word that I was a sinner. I knew from God's word Jesus died for me. I knew from God's word that he stood at the door of my heart and he knocked. So by faith, I received him in my life. I invited him in. I trusted what he said in his word. I know that he came in because he said he would and he wouldn't lie. In the same way that we are justified, saved by faith, we are sanctified, mature through faith. As you received him, so walk in him. So you walk by faith in the same way that you were saved by faith. So one of the ways you walk by faith is you say, God... I'm struggling. I, I, I'm having a hard time believing that you love me. I certainly am not feeling it. I'm feeling a little rejected. I'm feeling a little lonely. I'm feeling a little isolated. I'm feeling condemned. But God, you say in your word that you love me, and I'm going to believe that. I'm going to stand on that. Listen, take God's word like a bulldog with a bone and believe it and stand on it until it becomes reality in your life. Some of us need to do more fighting. Paul told Timothy, the fight of faith. Quit taking all the mm, that the enemy gives you. You, listen, Jesus didn't die and suffer and shed his blood so you'd live a defeated life. We'll say that again. Jesus didn't die and shed his blood and go through whipping and flogging for you to live a defeated, discouraged life. 
He died so you could know His great love, walk in His great love, experience His great love. And for sometimes those things to become reality in your life, you've got to stand on it. You've got to fight for it. In the Spirit, God, you say in your word, I'm going to believe it, I'm going to hold fast to it. Now one more thing about this. It takes humility. See, I think sometimes pride is what often keeps people from receiving God's love. Hang with me here. So many want to do something to earn God's love. So many want to work for His love. But humility says, I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God (laughs) says He loves me. And so I'm going to just put my pride aside. I'm going to accept His love by faith. His word and His truth trump my feelings. You said it, God. I believe it. And that settles it even in the midst of our failures and shortcomings. And we're going to really talk about this next week, how your sin and shortcomings can actually be the means by which you experience His love more and more. I'm not giving you license to sin, but I'm going to show you next week how sin and failure can actually be used by God to bring you into a greater experience of His love. All right, number four, and this is a biggie. We're almost done. Hang with me. This is big. Work through issues that hinder you from accepting God's love. Listen, we all have issues. Sin, experiences, perhaps tragedy, pain, perhaps abuse. That the enemy wants to use to keep you from experiencing God's love. Ephesians 4 says, put off the old and put on the new. And these become roadblocks in your faith. They become sticks in your spoke. They become dirt in your fuel line. Whatever word picture you want to use here. And this is where sometimes counseling is needed. The step studies we have here on Friday nights with CR. A discipleship relationship. Prayer ministry. Home groups. Iron Man groups. We're not the perfect church, but I'm telling you, we've got a lot of things we can offer you if you're willing to face your issues. But you have to be real to be healed. You have to feel to be healed. And so, if, if you are aware that there's something that is, seems to be blocking, whether you're even aware of what it is or not, but you, you just have a really hard time receiving God's love, there may be a reason for that block. Okay, And so what's important is that you be humble and honest and willing to go below the surface. Like an iceberg. Or like, you know, you got the tip that you see, but there's a lot more underneath. And this is where godly, biblical, prayerful, Holy Spirit-led counseling can be so good. Where you go before the Lord and you ask God, and you can do this privately, but it's sometimes needed to have it with another person. You're asking God to to uncover that which is blocking. Man, I've seen this in a powerful way in some lives where a person is willing to get to the root and they're they're willing to say, God, show me what's blocking. And then as they're quiet before the Lord, as they're open in their spirit, He begins to bring to their mind things that maybe they had pushed down or maybe even things they never even knew. And I'm telling you this, God never surfaces pain 
that he doesn't want to bring healing. He doesn't bring pain to push your head in that mud. He brings pain that he might heal it. And the very thing that had been keeping you from his love can be the very thing that causes you to move into his love at a deeper level. I remember a woman that I knew in Wisconsin and when I was pastoring there and she had been through some of the most severe abuse that you could imagine. I, can't, I wouldn't even be able to share with you from this pulpit the stuff she had been through. Horrible. Turn your stomach kind of abuse. And for many, many years, the enemy had used it to cause her to do exactly what many of us would do, and that is, God, you forsook me. God, you abandoned me. God, why did you allow this? You know, and she would often say, if I knew this was happening to my child, I would never have allowed it. I would have stepped in right away, so how could my heavenly Father claim to love me and not step in? I don't have an answer to that, other than he's sovereign. But then, hang with me. Doesn't end there, praise God. So for years and years, she allowed that abuse to keep her from receiving God's love. She was angry at God. She was bitter at God. She shook her fist at God, and then it led to an incredibly sinful life because of that pain. But then as God began to work and bring her to the end of herself, and that's often what happens, like the prodigal, one sin leads to such a discomfortable, uncomfortable experience because the wages of sin is death and God will have you come headlong into the pain of your sin as a wake-up call. And so that's another way that God is drawing, is having you taste the, the filth of that lifestyle. And so the prodigal came to his senses and said, I need to return. And so she was beginning to see the, the, the negative fruit, the rotten fruit of her lifestyle. And that drew her to a point where she was willing to get below the surface. And as she allowed God into that pain, God began to heal. God began to love her. God began to show himself strong to her. God began to heal those wounds. And she tasted and saw that he is good. And as the healing began to come, man, the freedom and the joy began to come. And guess what she's doing today? She's a Christian counselor. Hallelujah. What man meant for evil, God meant for good. And the many people now she is helping because she can tell her story and they go, wow, if God could do that for you, just maybe He could do it for me. I know a man who was sexually abused as a child, molested, and it led to all kinds of sexual confusion about his identity and about what God intended for that part of our lives, and it sent him on a trail of incredible sexual immorality and all kinds of mess. But again, like this woman, he began to see the, began to taste the negative fruit of that, and God used it to bring him to a point where he was willing to open his heart to the Lord. The Holy Spirit began to move and bring these things to the surface, and God's love came into those situations and God's love began to heal him and set him free. It was not an easy process, folks. We're not talking just pray it away. This was months. Sometimes it's years. But when we allow God into the pain, He's the one who sets the captives free. 
That's the verse he quoted when he started his public ministry. Isaiah 61, I've come to set the captives free. He loves you. He died for you. He shed his blood for you. And if you will allow him into the past, into the trauma, into the abuse, into the sin, oh, beloved, he can heal. I'm telling you, there's no other hope. There's no other healing like the healing that Jesus offers. Hallelujah. But you have to be willing to go there. Finally, number five, he truly accept forgiveness for your sins. Since the greatest demonstration of God's love is Jesus' work at the cross, His blood atonement, beloved, His incredible grace and mercy to die for sins, to give us complete forgiveness and cleansing, therefore accepting that, believing that, and walking in that is a huge part of keeping yourselves in the love of God. And I'm not just talking about to be born again initially. This is an ongoing thing because we all fall short. We all sin as believers. And so it's a continual receiving, accepting His forgiveness. That His blood is sufficient. That when you sin and confess, bring it before Him. He forgives. He cleanses. Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't have to walk in shame and condemnation. Bible says that God made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In Christ, you are righteous. In Christ, your old person is dead. In Christ, you have a new nature. In Christ, He didn't just put a clean robe over your true, ugly, sinful self. No, you're new in Christ. You have a new nature, a new person, a new spirit. Hallelujah be to God. Jesus didn't suffer and die for you to live in condemnation, shame, and guilt. Jesus didn't suffer and die for you to live in shame, condemnation, and guilt. Now we have much more to cover, but we're going to stop here. We're going to pick up next week. Let's review. First, you've got to know the truth. You pray for a revelation of that. You accept by faith what God's Word says. Working through issues. Listen, contact us if we can help. Bring it forward with a trusted person. I will not disclose anything you ever share with me. We can point you to those within this body who can help you. But you've got to first say, I think I need some help here. And I'm telling you, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Listen, we have enough opposed to us with the world, flesh, and the devil, right? I don't want God opposed to me. <laughs> So one of the reasons I choose to be humble is because I want His grace. I need His grace. And so when we humble ourselves, we get grace. And one of the ways to humble yourselves is to say, I need help. I can't do it alone. That's a great way to humble yourself. So we'll pick up next week. Send me questions that you might have. We are going to possibly have a panel of testimonies. If you have a testimony of how God's love has been instrumental in setting you free, let me know. Because testimonies are powerful, aren't they? Just those stories I told of those two people I know, doesn't that just build faith? Doesn't that build hope in you? You hear that and you go, if God did it for them, He can do it for me. So worship team, if you'd come on up, we are now going to participate in one of the greatest ways to celebrate His love, and that is communion. Because in communion is a tangible picture of His great love. We've said today that the apex of His love is the death, the 
Jesus on the cross, right? And this is a great way. I think you could add this to your points today. Take communion. <laughs> Take communion is a great way to move into His love and keep yourselves in His love. I, I personally take communion almost every morning. Now maybe that's a paradigm shift for some of you. Wait! It's got to be blessed by a pastor. Got to do it in church. I don't see that in Scripture. I think communion can be done by every believer at any time. I mean, after all, it says, every time you partake, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. I need to proclaim His death until He comes. I need to proclaim His death to myself every day. And this is one way I do that. So if those that are preparing the table can get that ready for us, I want to share one verse as we go into communion and worship. 1 Corinthians 10. This is the verse that I'm personally gripped by. This is one of the verses that, for me, is why I'm not just a memorialistic. I, don't, I think it's more than just a symbol. I believe that, that there, is, there is a participation in Christ as we partake. And I can't explain it. It's a mystery, but look what the Word says. The cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation? That's koinonia in the Greek. In the blood of Christ. The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? I don't know about you, but I want to participate in His body and blood. Whatever that means, I want it. <laughs> and this is one way to do it. Because there's one bread, we who are many are one body. So we do it today, together today. We all partake of the one bread. So as you come today, let this be one way of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You can partake individually. The way we do it here is you come forward whenever you're ready. Prepare your heart. Take the bread. Take the juice. We love it when people do it in groups, small groups, families, whatever. Huddle up with some of your friends or just by yourself. Either way, you can do it kneeling at the steps, the altar. You can do it in little huddles around the room. You can just take it back to your seat and then when you do it when you're ready. But on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, He took bread. Interesting, isn't it, that it says on the night in which He was betrayed. Why does it say that? As a reminder that on the very night when one of His twelve was going to betray Him, His great love was still willing to go to the cross. He took the bread and He says, This is my body given for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you and for many. Drink all of it for the forgiveness of sins. Like our prayer team and elders to be some of the first to come and be available to pray with others if they want prayer. Father, now we pray in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit will come over this time and in whatever that means, participation. I don't know, Lord, fully what it means. I'm glad I don't. I'm glad it's ultimately beyond my understanding. Whatever it means, God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would experience it today, today, in this place. Those of you watching online, I encourage you to get the elements and partake where you are. So God, bless now this time. Holy Spirit, anoint this. We want to taste and see that you're good. Lord, prepare every heart. Let this be a great time of worship, surrender, and experiencing your love. In Jesus' name. <laughs>